This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. What to do if your child persistently makes speech sound errors? For example, says wabbit instead of rabbit or think instead of think. Speech and language therapist Christian Wright says some of the common speech sound errors heard in children's speech can persist through to adolescence and even into adulthood. Christian, hello and welcome back. Thank you, how are you? Good, thanks. We're talking specifically about the R and the sounds. Are they particularly problematic for a lot of children? Yeah, absolutely. So parents will know with preschool kids and early school age kids there are a range of sounds that they'll struggle with but typically by the time you're five most of those issues have resolved um, you have you're a hundred percent intelligible um, if parents want more information on that they can go back into the archives we've done we've covered stuff on the speech sound development of preschoolers and early school age children but yes these two sounds can persist and make for some Interesting circumstances. The other night I was at the supermarket. This is the reason I came up with the topic. And there was a man next to me and he asked the woman behind the deli if he could have um, free scotch egg. Scotch egg. Free scotch egg. And um, she looked at him and she said, you have to pay for it, you know. And um, I stood there and I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting, isn't it? This is one of those moments where in in this brief moment of time it's a disability for him. But... um, Many of us have grown accustomed to it, of course. We know to translate that as a TH, not an F. Um, Same with the R. Um, We know that a W, in fact, is an R. It's interesting also, if you go back um, a long time ago um, in England, there were sometimes markers of being more upper class, was that you would shift your R to W. You might have seen Jonathan Ross on the... Really? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> you go. And that was one of the things that they did. Yeah. Um, they call it an affectation, do we? Um, yeah, I guess so. Mm. Um, because it's intentional. Yes, or I think it is. Is it intentional or is it learned? Well, I remember a linguistics lecturer telling me that one of the reasons for some of the exceptions in the spelling of English was the lower classes had learnt to spell, to read and write, so the upper classes decided to add silent letters and then they could separate themselves again. Now, I can't really verify if that is true, but it does sound like something that would happen. (laughs) But anyway, um, so, yeah, and as a general rule, um, most children, by the time they're seven, have actually acquired their TH&R. But um, just to give you an idea, it's no need to panic if your child's struggling with TH when they start school. Um, Statistically, um, about we did a study of a thousand New Zealand children many years ago, and we looked at their speech sounds, and we saw that for TH, uh, about seventy-five percent of them were changing them to an F at the beginning of a word when they started school between the ages of five, five and a half, um, and for the R, it was about thirteen, fourteen percent. So there is a group that do it, but in the first three years of school, um, it resolves. But there is this group that it doesn't, and it goes on. At what stage of your language, speech and language development do you typically start forming those sounds? Yeah. How young are you when you give it your first go? So um, the R sound, for example, between the ages of four and five, many children are uh, um, correcting and acquiring that sound. So certainly most children by the time they're five can do it. Mm. And the TH sound is one of the later ones. Some parents will see online there is a chart, and the chart has TH as being a sound that's acquired Um, there's this horizontal bar. It's a very misleading graph, but essentially what it's trying to point out is that TH is a later developing sound, right? 
But then you have to think anecdotally about all the kids around you. Um, so if 75% of five-year-olds don't do it, but by the time they're six or seven, the majority do. Mm. So it's that gut feeling as a parent that yeah. you know that it's persisting. Why is there? Why is this a later development? Is it is its complexity, or is it to do with the actual development of the organs of articulation? Yeah, you know, it, the palates it, and stuff that you use to make the sound. Um, complexity, because mm. it, these both these sounds require the tongue, and they require fine motor control of the tongue. So if you broke it down, starting with th, that's the easier one. Um, you're poking your tongue between your teeth. Actually, just the tongue tip, and um, so the many times children will use an f. So when you actually start exploring, wait, because R's going to blow your mind, but um, the TH, tongue tip between the teeth, right, and you just do it momentarily. I just like did a, it then and realised I, I hadn't actually thought that it yeah. actually comes between the teeth, so there you go. It does, yeah. just for a fraction of a second. Yeah. The R yeah. is the weirdest sound. It's one of the few, the reason it's so complex is it's a sound that literally floats in your oral cavity. So what happens is your tongue tip rises up. It goes about oh, halfway back. Yeah. And it's not making contact with the top of your mouth. It's just creating a tiny gap that as the air comes up from your lungs through the vocal tract, it flows over the tongue and it creates that sound, the R sound. There is another way to make the R, which is to do what they call the mountain R, where you actually push the back of your tongue up and your tongue tip stays down. Or I can't do it. I don't make, yeah, I don't make that sound that way. But some people can do it. So... Um, what's happening is they're having trouble controlling their tongue and trying mm. to move it into those positions so they need to be talked through it um, and it's not very complicated to fix and that's one of the things I'm hoping to show people today is to just walk you through it because you don't necessarily need always to go and see a speech therapist if you have a have a plan or a process um, obviously many people do because they want someone to walk it through step by step but um, the issue in both cases is learning to control your tongue so the first thing would be learning to discriminate the sounds because some adults can't discriminate the R and the W very well. Some, certainly many children who have the issue don't. So um, you have two pictures, for example, ring and wing, and you say point to wing, and they'll point to it, point to ring, and you're just seeing if they can hear there's a difference. Um, and uh, many times they can. They can hear the difference, which is good, because if you can hear the difference, then you can judge your own speech much more accurately. And then once you've done that, we need to isolate it. So what we're going to do then is get your tongue tip for the TH between your teeth, um, and we're going to gently blow through. So there's two, two THs. There's a voiced TH, V, and then there's the voiceless TH. So there's two versions. Mm -hmm. So they, um, like the, has the voiced TH, mm -hmm. and usually the voiced TH emerges before the voiceless. And then the voiceless TH, um, what we're going to do there is, is to try and get the person to um, put the tongue tip between the teeth. And the trick is when you transition from the th sound and you move into the vowel, that's usually when the error triggers. What word would that be in, the silent one? Think. Think. Oh. So there's no buzzing at the beginning of it. The and think are yep. quite different. They're okay. different. So if you were to, say, go to London and meet someone who speaks Cockney English, that's a sound change that's now occurred. So they'll go, think. Or they'll go, wheelie. Sometimes they'll say that. So I think I might go home. So that's, that might be how they talk and that you can hear that sound substitution. If I was going to fix that they would place their tongue tip between their, te um, their teeth and then I'd place a vowel next to it. So I would go and as they transition from the TH into the vowel, what you're paying attention to is that they don't 
raise their bottom lip up to strike their top teeth because that forms an F and that's what they want to do. Ah, uh, okay. So you don't want fee, you want the So you hold fee. the lips still? Yeah, put you the, can do. Put the tongue there, not physically. <laughs> you can do. You can? You yep. just hold it there? You can place your thumb yeah. on your chin and yeah. hold it there so that the person can, can't well they move place it, it, can't move it up. and they can feel the, the mm, tension as it mm. begins to move. So and that gives them that sense of once you felt it, like anything else, once you've felt it the first time, you go, that's what it feels like. Yep. And then next and time. And you start and to get the idea. Okay, so let's do that again for, this is for a silent, do we start that's with right. the silent? Um, usually because the voiced one will sometimes come anyway, so people may have a mixed issue and they're only really doing it uh, on the voiceless one okay. not the voiced one so, so you're doing it with a vowel and you're mm. showing them and you're going slow because that's the key they need to go slow enough it's a motor skill you don't um, try to practice any complicated motor skills quickly you have to break it down and go slowly so we want the person to gently pull their tongue back as they transition to the vowel and you're watching their bottom lip look in a mirror and as soon as their bottom lip begins to move you're like keep it still so I've just been working on this this morning um, with someone. So um, and it's and it's always the same kind of issue like that. When it comes to the R, the substitution is W usually. W is formed with your lips forming a circle. You push your lips slightly out, and you make a circle. That, uh, if you could try and draw an analogy, would be like closing your fingers and your thumb into your palm. That's a big movement versus just isolating one finger, your index finger. That's a finer motor movement. And so I'm the lips. Concerning. But anyway, so essentially the difference between gross motor and fine motor. So the R is a finer motor movement. That's why it's hard and you're isolating the tongue. So what we're going to do to coach a person through that. So we're going to say to them, we're going to tongue tip. So they touch their tongue tip, sensitize it. Then you say to them, I want you to lift your tongue tip up and pull it backwards in your mouth. Go backwards till it's about halfway back. And most people can do this. It's particularly seven and eight-year-old kids can do this. Um, and certainly adults can. And you want them to float it about halfway back and then hold it there. So there are three movements to an R. There's the on-glide, which is the rising of the tongue tip. The second movement is holding it at the apex, at the peak. Turning on your voice, that's all the second movement, so you start to get uh, yep, and then the off glide, relaxing it back down again, so you would create uh, as so you release it. that's how we get the R sound. Uh, it's the this R. is incredible, isn't it, because when you talk to Americans, they say to us, you don't even say R, you just no. go ah, like, you know, ah. <laughs> And then you go all the way through to our dear friends and gore, and you get a good rolling <laughs> that's right. And that's and that is how long you hold it, and then you release. Well, it's also yeah. about when you make the R, because Americans yeah. make the R in the final position following a vowel, and we don't. Ah. So they go car. So they re- they they do the R first, and then put the R in. So they go k. And then they go into R as the vowel, and then they raise their tongue tip up to make the R. So they make a retroflex R, meaning you pull your tongue back, like I'm talking about, but they articulate that after a vowel in a word like car. We don't. Okay. We don't. Our tongue stays neutral in that position. So we don't have R on the end of a word that we make. We only make it at the beginning and in the middle of a word in New Zealand English. This is not something you ever think about, but this is how native speakers speak and use the R sound. Whereas in American English, as we're saying, they do it on the end of a word. So you'll hear them say car. So if you do that yourself, yes. you will be suddenly sound American. 
So we sound, and it's odd because sometimes when I treat children of American families, there's a debate. Do I train R on the end, yet you are immersed in New Zealand English, or do I treat it? And it's usually that I don't because it's impossible. So let's do it one more time. The three steps for a the R Kiwi sound. R sound is you so get them to tip, lift the t- tongue right. tip up. up. About halfway back, uh-huh. you hold it there, turn on your voice, uh-huh. and then you relax the tongue back down again. So if you can't do that, nothing else is going to work. It's the absolute cornerstone of everything that it's going to come from. So I might spend several sessions with a, a client, um, even adults, fixing just that until they've got it. And their temptation, of course, is they want to use their lips and get their lips involved. But when you make an R, your lips are neutral. They don't move. So then um, we put a vowel with it. So re, ri, um, and I try to avoid roo because roo as a vowel, the oo, makes your lips makes round. Makes the lips move. So you've got to be careful. So re, ri, ra, those are some typical vowels I would start with. Then the person's feeling confident of the positioning and then we go on to the rounded vowels. Do you find that, um, that there'll be a process where the child or the person can do it when you're sitting and deliberately doing it like this but then lapse back into yep. what is habit? And, and so what's the trajectory to, in, to yes. making it more more correct more often. Yeah, so that's about, first of all, um, isolating and learning the skill and then turning it into a habit. But also you want to escalate complexity. So you do R in isolation, R with a vowel, R at the beginning of a word. Then put one or two other words around the R word. So um, the rabbit and then um, the f- uh, the fluffy rabbit and then I see a fluffy rabbit you're slowly escalating the amount of information surrounding the R um, till you get to the point that they could read a passage but this takes time and so um, typically when I treat an R in, in speech I might work with the person for anywhere between three to six months. Um, I see people fortnightly in these contexts. Um, Three to six months, and we work through it, slowly escalating that complexity. Can you end up with, I don't know, little poems or jingles or things that train it, a bit like training the muscle? Once they're competent in the R, then tongue twisters are great, Mm. and they can work around those to try and build capacity and keep um, extending the skill. Um, and then it gets to the point where the person basically can switch on control of the R. The last step is conversational correction, and that takes time, and usually it dribbles in. So um, speech sound therapy, language therapy is really behavioural. It's You're changing the behaviour of a human, and it takes a really long time yeah. to change behaviour. Yeah. Some questions for you. My 12-year-old son regularly re- replaces a the sound with a, an F or a V. Mm-hmm. You know, a fit or a v. He saw a speech therapist in year three at his primary school. We were given some nightly exercises to do in which he had to differentiate between when to use the and when to use f and v in some common words. Mm-hmm. He was great at it, but he hasn't connected the issue, but it hasn't con- corrected the issue, which now flows into some of his spelling also. Correct. When corrected, which I do as often as reasonable, he can make the sounds perfectly. I think it's become a bad habit, but I'm really concerned it will flow into adulthood. Yeah. That's interesting, it's going into spelling. Does that come back to knowing when it should be used in the first place? Discriminating it, but also because children are taught to spell um, phonemically. Phonetically, So they are listening to, they are saying Mm. as they're spelling. So he's actually correct, 
because he's doing what they've told him to do. Yes, he's having trouble distinguishing that. So in that situation, what I would do is come back to his literacy and I would be getting him to make the sound and write words just to, to isolate that and to show there's a distinction. But what he also is missing and what he needs is time spent where you are building his awareness of the sound in controlled conversations. So I would put a timer on, one to two minutes, then I would have tokens and I would assign tokens to him or give him things every time he fixes it. And when he's got enough tokens, he gets a reward. So it's like a behaviour that you're trying to strengthen. But the first behaviour is to strengthen his awareness of when the error occurs and to self-correct it. So success in that context would be him stopping and fixing, not fixing the first time. And then from there, once you are self-correcting, usually you start to show signs that you can correct it the first time. The second thing I would do with that boy is I would look for common TH words that come up a lot for him, and I would rehearse them ad, ad nauseum um, until they, are, they become automatic in his speech. I have a nearly four-year-old child who speaks full sentences, and lots of them, but tends to slur words together, and is, it is hard for non whanau to understand fully. When she slows down and repeats one word at a time, she seems to make 95% of the sounds without issue. Is there such a thing as lazy speaking? How can we support her in working on this? Good question. No such thing as lazy speech, um, although it's a commonplace we logically go as parents, because it looks like that. Um, no child's lazy with their speech. Usually what that will be is there's um, the complexity of her sentences is such that the demand is outstripping her capacity um, to, to form those sounds. So two things that I would think about. One would be I would be really interested in her multisyllabic words and how they look, so the integrity of those. So when you think about speech, it's really just a series of syllables with junctions between syllables. Our brains pass or, or separate those, that stream of speech into meaningful words. Possibly there's some collapses or things that are happening between words. The second thing is when she's talking at the single word level, that's much easier in terms of speech sound complexity, so her accuracy will go up. But that's also a good sign. So it's likely that as time goes by, she is going to get better in connected speech because she can do it in single words. So it might be that you could do a um, do try. She could try this: a breakdown and a build-up. So take a sentence that you think's unclear, have her break it down and and see if she can say each of the words individually, and then slowly add the words back together. So um, let's just take the my name's Christian. I love ice cream. Then it would be just playing around with each of the words, see that she can say them, and then my name, my name is, my name is Christian. Yeah, just build slowing it back up. Her, basically just slowing her down. Essentially, and, and, yeah. And teaching, teaching her almost to manage the, the formulation when she's probably, by the sounds of it, a wonderful little chatterbox and just gets, <laughs> just gets going. Yeah. But I think also if you're concerned as a parent and you, and you think, but her four-year-old friends don't have this issue, listen to your gut yeah. and okay. go and see someone. My 10-year-old grandson still, grandson still can't say his R's. Does he need therapy? Yes. So he's past the threshold. So seven at the latest eight. Okay. Um, but many children will acquire it before then. And one more to sneak in. It's not an R, but I'll sneak it in anyway. I appreciate you're not discussing saying the letter S, but my 23-year-old son still cannot say S properly. He says it as, a, as if his tongue is on the roof of the mouth and then breathing out the side of his teeth. So yeah. it sounds bubbly, hissy, not a clear That's S. That's a lateral S, yeah. Can he be taught the correct way? Absolutely can. I treat it all the time. So speech therapists can treat lateral S's. So that's where they've described it very well. So there's air oh, escaping out the side. Yeah. Snake. 
Yeah. So it sounds bubbly and slushy. So what we would want to do there is a series of exercises um, to teach him to um, raise the sides of his tongue up. Um, and usually we do that. Um, the most common one is to use a T. And if you bounce a T, 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 and then you hold on to it and stretch it, T, T, T. So holding the T shape stretched becomes S. But laterals at that age are tricky to fix, and you'd probably want to see a speech therapist to do it because um, the, a person trying to do it themselves, it's hard to it's stay a, on that journey. It's a well-hard, well-learned yep. habit, isn't it? Yeah. Christian, thank you. It's always so appreciated. Thanks very much, Christian Wright, speech therapist.